We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast. However, you're joining us uh, right now, we are live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres. And the podcast will also be available on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. If you guys happen to be listening on any of those uh, platforms, kindly ask that you uh, you know give us a good rating and uh, subscribe and follow us on all of that good stuff. You know how it goes. Always trying to uh, build the community and just get a bigger presence across all these uh, different mediums. But on this episode of the podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about the wide receivers rolling along in our spring football preview for the Oregon Ducks. And I am joined today by Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Rubenking. How are we doing, Rube? Doing great, man. It's so exciting to be in March and be in the spring now. We've got football coming up quick. March Madness is starting. Um, you know, we got the the women's basketball tournament in the Pac-12 I'm keeping an eye on. Um, it's a little nostalgic for me because I was in Vegas there covering the tournament last year and now watching it from home. It's a little bit of a different feel, but it's it's great that we've got the sports kind of run in the corner here. I'm just really excited to start talking some football now that it's a week from today. It's the first practice. We are officially one week out from spring football in Eugene. Really exciting stuff, uh, especially with all the new players and the new coaching staff. Uh, Hard to find, uh, not hard to find, I should say, reasons to be excited about this team. But before we get into the wideouts, Dylan, we have a couple other quick stories we wanted to hit on um, before we got into that uh, that have occurred since we last talked here on the podcast. And uh, the freshest one that we have uh, actually just happened today. Uh, that is a big recruiting story. 2023 five-star running back Richard Young uh, out of Lehigh uh, Acres, Florida, will be visiting the Ducks in uh, mid to late April for the spring game. He's going to be in town April 22nd through 23rd for an unofficial visit. He announced that uh, on Twitter this morning. So when you're looking at the recruiting class for Oregon, they only have one guy in the fold right now in cornerback Cole Martin. But, um, man, I think this visitor list is going to be pretty insane by the time the spring game actually rolls around. And when you think about it, Dylan, it's really the spring game and Saturday Night Live that have served as the you know quintessential biggest recruiting events in the calendar year for the Ducks. 
I'm definitely curious if Saturday Night Live is going to stay a thing with the the new Dan Lanning era. Um, you know, it's definitely worked in the past for for Mario Cristobal and getting those recruits on campus and working with some of those guys on the team and in the coaching staff. But in terms of Richard Young, I think he's honestly, I think he is the top running back in the 2023 class and getting him there for the spring game. That's going to be huge. There's just, there's no beating, you know, going to a game at Oregon, you know, in Eugene at Austin stadium, seeing the actual product on the field, seeing what the coaching staff can do. That's huge. At first I thought he was coming March 22nd, 23rd, cause he didn't, he didn't put the month at first. And then he said April 22nd, 23rd, and that's that's the spring game. So it's super exciting to get a guy of that caliber in town to, to see the product on the field and meet the coaches. Looking at Young's 247 sports profile, playing out of Lehigh Senior High School in Lehigh Acres, Florida, he is ranked the number one running back on the 247 sports composite, the number six prospect in Florida, good for the number 18 player in the country. On that same profile, it lists that he has 51 total offers, which is pretty insane. But just to kind of, you know, give a little more background on, on Young's recruitment, seeing that he's such a big name, you know, there's there's a lot of big blue blood programs that are uh, going after him. And in, in addition to uh, the Ducks, who we're talking about today, uh, just recently, Young was named the uh, MVP at Under Armour's Battle Next Camp in Miami. And then... Um, Last season, some of the visits he was able to take, you have Florida in-state program as well as Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. And then uh, more recently here in uh, in January, um, Young was able to see uh, Alabama and Miami. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that kind of I have been thinking about lately is a lot of these big profile guys that the Ducks are going after. They're geographically so much closer to a lot of these other teams. So you kind of see Oregon – you know, they, 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 the other staff offered him a while ago, but um, Carlos Laughlin and the, and the new staff reoffered him uh, on Christmas. And, you know, they're going to get him out on campus in April, but he's already been to a lot of these other schools. So you got to figure they kind of have a leg up in the, in the recruitment, at least early on here. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that he's had the relationship with, um, you know, Carlos Laughlin, I believe he mentioned, um, you know, he's he's definitely a great recruiter so far. You saw what he did with Jordan James. Dan Lanning had a huge role to do with that as well. But if Oregon can land a guy like Richard Young super early, a guy of that caliber from Florida, from, you know, with all these, like you said, 50 plus schools that have offered him, and I'm sure he's going to be taking a ton of visits in March and April. And now that the, uh, the dead period's done, I mean, that would just speak a lot to the, the ability and capability of this of this recruiting staff to go in there and get the top running back in the nation. Um, I don't think that there's a huge need at running back next year, especially if Byron Cardwell keeps going at the pace that he's going with Jordan James there, Sean Dollars, uh, Seven McGee, if he's still running back. You know, I don't think it's a screaming need, but the talent in that 2023 pool is just one of the best I've seen in a long time. So I feel like they're going to make a splash and Richard Young would, would definitely be a big splash. One thing that kind of comes into play here with this recruitment in particular, when we talk about Carlos Lachlan, you look at some of his previous stops, Western Kentucky, as well as Florida State. When he was with the Seminoles out in Tallahassee, he was serving as the director of high school relations. So, um, you know, kind of makes sense that he's probably the primary connection for, for Young right now on this Oregon staff. Look for Lachlan to kind of dig into some of those uh, connections and relationships that he's built previously 
out in the Sunshine State before coming to Oregon. A couple other running back names that we want to keep an eye on if you're uh, looking at Oregon recruiting right now. Roderick Robinson from Lincoln High School out in San Diego. His stock just continues to to climb on the recruiting trail. Texas A&M, I believe, was the latest school to uh, offer him. And then you also have Johnny Thompson, the former USC running back commit who was raving about Carlos Lachlan when I interviewed him. Uh, I believe it was a month or so ago. Now I, I'm meaning to check in on him since he did back off that commitment and he uh, also made a trip out to Oregon. So you figure that the Ducks are, they got to be in a good spot for him. But that's the quick little recruiting story that we wanted to uh, hit off the top here. And then another one that has uh, transpired since we last talked, another story, it's still kind of a recruiting story, but more so in the transfer portal. Uh, that is freshman cornerback Jalen Davies. Uh, reportedly entering the transfer portal. That's coming from on three's Matt Zenitz, I believe was the first one to report that. And uh, I think this was a big bit of a surprise. I don't want to say a huge surprise, but a bit of a surprise given Oregon's um, given Oregon's presence in Southern California, their success recruiting modern day. And then really just the, the wealth of opportunity that really is there for the taking uh, at the cornerback spot and then the secondary. So a bit of a surprising move. What, what were your kind of reactions to seeing that news? I thought the timing was really weird just because it was eight days out from the first spring practice. In my mind, I felt like something happened, something changed kind of immediately. Um, it just felt like a really weird time for him to transfer right now. And of course, it's just a report right now. He hasn't made an official statement, um, but usually Zenitz has been pretty accurate on that. So um, you know, there is there are a lot of bodies out there at cornerback now, not a lot of experienced bodies, but I'm sure it's going to be one of those interesting battles to watch in the spring. Just who gets the the reps behind guys like Dante Manning and Triquiz Bridges, Christian Gonzalez, guys who have started before behind them. There's just a wash of guys like Jalil Florence, Jalil Tucker, Avante Dickerson, Darren Barkins, Jalen Davies got a couple games in last year. And it was just it was interesting to see how this new coaching staff with Demetrius Martin, the cornerbacks coach, how they were going to go about the the depth there and who was going to get reps. And it just felt like somebody was going to get kind of washed out of the mix and left behind. And um, maybe Jalen Davies got the sense that he was going to be that guy early on, um, but definitely wish him all the best. He's going to have a lot of um, I'm sure a lot of schools looking after him just because of, you know, a modern day guy, Southern California guy was a four-star guy coming out of high school. So um, had a ton of offers. I think he's going to be, you know, an impact guy at the at the next school he goes to. Davies was a prep All-American coming out of high school, had a, a great, you know, wealth of, of offers before he ended up choosing the Ducks. But yeah, I, th I think that that's what was kind of surprising about this move is that he, you know, could have been one of the, the contributors that maybe stepped in in a, a Triquez Bridges or Dante Manning type of role from last year. Avante Dickerson was was another highly regarded player coming out of the prep ranks. So that room has some talent, but just not a bunch of proven production, which I think is kind of one of the biggest things that I'm hinging my my mood, you know, if you want to call it that, uh, on the on these rooms at various positions. But that was kind of one of the bigger stories that we've heard recently coming out of Oregon with spring football kicking off in just a week but now let's really dig into the main topic of today's pod and that is previewing the wide receiver group the ducks did lose quite a few players from last year and with that they lost a, a pretty decent amount of production let's look at some of the names here that are no longer with the team they don't all play wide receiver but they did all you know impact the passing game 
So I wanted to kind of use those names. So you look at Johnny Johnson, the third, he's uh, going to be participating in the combine today. Jalen red, Devin Williams, Micah Pittman, who has since transferred to Florida state, as well as Travis Dye, who was one of the leading receivers. I believe he might've been the leading receiver in the shortened 2020 season, but he was a super capable pass catcher out of the backfield. But for those guys that I just mentioned, Dylan, they combined for a total of 1,664 receiving yards out of Oregon's total as a team, 3,098 receiving yards. And I did a little bit of the math before we got on here, and that's 53.7% of the receiving production from a yardage standpoint. So that that figures to be a pretty significant loss uh, just because of all the production that they had and, and really how long they've been here, that continuity. Uh, they have that continuity a bit going into this year, but certainly not the re returning production that you would kind of uh, really like to have. Yeah, the talent and skill is going to be hard to replace, but I think what's a lot harder to replace is that veteran leadership, given that Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red have been with the program, not just for a long time, but through so much in the last few years, but the, the head coaching changes, the offensive coordinator changes, you know, just kind of the culture shift that Oregon's gone through since they've been in Eugene. So um, just having that experience and all this knowledge of, you know, that's been accumulated over the last few years, that's, you know, that's a huge loss for Oregon. And then in terms of, you know, the talent, I think Devin Williams is one of the bigger losses. I was not honestly expecting him to be headed to the NFL this early. I thought another year would, would do him a lot better. Um, and, you know, like we've said before, his, he was just starting to reach his potential, um, you know, with the volume of targets he was starting to get and, the place he was starting to make and huge moments and definitely during the Pac-12, you know, slate and the Ohio State game specifically. I just think they were kind of banking on him to to come back and be the true number one wide receiver and maybe even be a guy that could put up a thousand yards in a season. Um, but now you're kind of scrambling for, you know, who's going to be that true number one wide receiver after you lose guys that have arguably been that. Johnny Johnson's been that in 2019. Jalen Red has definitely been in the conversation. Devin Williams, I think, was that last year and even maybe in 2020. Um, and Micah Pittman and Travis Dye were a huge part of that as well. Pittman had a lot of promise, but obviously was a little bit, you know, frustrated with his situation and his lack of um, attention, I guess, lack of targets on the field. So um, now you just have a lot of really young talent that is ready to ready to bloom. Losing all that production isn't, you know, the end of the world scenario. And, and I don't want to, I don't want my tone to come off as, you know, this is like a doomsday type of deal with all the production that they lost. But you mentioned the veteran leadership. I think that's something that is kind of hard to quantify at times, but having those upperclassmen there on the roster is, is definitely a help for any team. But when we're looking at the production that the, the Ducks are losing, uh, Devin Williams, I think, has to be the biggest impact guy that they're losing. Uh, just from an on-field standpoint, I think that with Devin Williams, it really felt like he was just starting to get that true number one wide receiver uh, production and, you know, the the targets. I think that was something that was really encouraging to finally see, especially with how limited the quarterback play was last year. You figure kind of resetting the quarterback picture now, maybe that would be, maybe that was something that they used to kind of try to get him to stay. Or maybe for him, it was, you know, a, a, a type of situation where I think he's going to do great at the combine. He'll probably make himself some money at the combine, just looking at, you know, how he tests and how those are going to really be good numbers, I think for, for the NFL. And then you look at the measurables uh, six, five, and I think he measured in around 210, 215 pounds. So physically 
definitely has the uh, the frame of an NFL wide receiver. But even now that now that I kind of look back on Devin Williams' career at Oregon, he was somebody that I thought was a for sure lock to Oregon coming out of high school. We all know that he ended up at USC, and then he finally got to Oregon, and everyone was really excited. And I still feel like his Oregon career kind of leaves a little bit to be desired, even though he was that number one wide receiver. You look at games like the Washington game, he had that big touchdown reception. Uh, Oregon State, I think he played really well against Oregon State during his time at Oregon. Ohio State, he had some good plays, UCLA. So there's flashes that we can pinpoint, but I, bottom line, I still think that he's probably the biggest loss from the wide receiver room. That's not a, much of a stretch, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. And then I think that now that he's gone, it's it just kind of feels like Oregon didn't get as much out of him as they could have. Yeah, he only had one. I mean, Oregon as a whole only had one game where a receiver had 100-plus receiving yards, and that wasn't until the Oregon State game, like you said, had 110 yards and six catches um, to go with a touchdown. I just felt like he was toward the end of the year, that Utah game, uh, the Oregon State game, I just felt like he was starting to round into form. We were starting to see the Devin Williams that was promised to to go to Oregon when he was in high school um, and ended up going to USC. I just thought that it was like, hey, this is the wide receiver one now. We came into the year, you know, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red come back. Devin Williams is still there. Kind of the same question, except with more experience that we have now of who's the true number one wide receiver. Um, and Devin Williams turned into that guy late in the year. And I feel like now that the veterans have moved on, I just thought Devin Williams coming back would have done him just a heck of a lot more, um, you know, a bigger boost to his resume for the NFL draft stock um, just to be a, a true number one wide receiver for a whole season, most likely. I mean, they still have other guys in the mix that would have competed for that. But just given his um, growth with the Ducks and growth with, um, you know, just comfort with the offense and with Anthony Brown, I just felt like he was really coming into form at the end of the year. And, you know, to kind of see that just kind of stalled at the end of the year with him going to the NFL draft, I just um, I, I hope he definitely goes does well at the combine. I think he will, given his size and frame and just really soft hands, great route running ability. I think he's going to do really well. I think he might even slip into the draft. I think the projection right now is him to be, you know, one of the top prioritized undrafted free agents. But I, I think with his ability and some of the film you see um, toward the end of the year and even a little bit early in the year, I think he's a guy that could slip in, maybe a, um, you know, a, a sixth, seventh round pick. In 2020, I think he really showed a lot of flashes too. I think of the UCLA game, um, was kind of his breakout performance last year, the 2020 season, rather. Um, you know, I, I just feel like we saw, like you said, flashes, just the the inconsistent quarterback play and, the you know, the offensive schemes. I just felt like it all could have been better. And because of that, I just felt like Devin Williams deserved another shot at being a true wide receiver for Oregon. Now that, you know, he's, he's the veteran guy. He would have been the veteran guy for sure. And, um, you know, even though even though he's not returning, I still think that there's a good chance that he's a an NFL wide receiver, and definitely he thinks so. I just was really surprised that he made the decision when he did. Now looking at the wide receivers on Oregon's roster headed into the spring, Dylan, you got names like Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, Dante Thornton, Isaiah Crocker, Isaiah Brevard, uh, just to kind of name some of the main names in the conversation. But when we were talking about Devin Williams, you and I both kind of used that terminology, number one wide receiver. And it was funny because when we were asking 
uh, Mario Cristobal, just kind of about the the idea uh, around having a number wide receiver, number one wide receiver, having someone who's established as the top option, the go-to guy, your best weapon in the passing game. He kind of attacked that wording as we saw whenever he didn't like a question. He was, you know, just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that we really need to have one. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, you know, that's, you know, just kind of a, a narrative. I don't think it's that important. I think it's great that we spread the ball around to so many people, which I think has some value. But when the game's on the line, when you really need a big play, I think it ultimately is really beneficial to have that number one wide receiver. So now that he's gone, I think Oregon is finding themselves in this position. Who is the wider, who is going to be wide receiver one? So I kind of wanted to pitch that question to you and, and just kind of segue into that little bit of the conversation as we really take a deep dive into this wide receiver group ahead of spring ball. Sure. I think there's a lot of, um, I think this is one of the most talented groups that Oregon's had at wide receiver in some time. And, but at the, at the same time, there's not a lot of proven consistent experience over a season's time. But I think Chris Hudson is a guy who has shown the most as sort of a wide receiver one, because at the end of last year, you had Johnny Johnson go down, Jalen Red go, uh, went down, and then, you know, Devin Williams left for the draft before the Alamo Bowl. And so Chris Hudson was starting to rise up the ranks a little bit. And I think he handled that really well after, you know, some struggles early in the year. But those are some things that I'm, I'm, I'm proud that he was able to bounce back from. I think most namely, people remember the, the fumble, or the, not the fumble, um, the uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after a big catch against uh, Arizona where Mario Cristobal got after him on the sideline, had a fumble against Cal after making a really nice move, um, got the crowd jumping after that. And then he fumbled and it was just like the air got sucked out of the building right as soon as it, you know, got crazy in there. And then he fumbled against UCLA as well. So, you know, you're just kind of waiting to see, you know, are they going to trust him enough to help him get involved more? And toward the end of the year, the last four games specifically, really popped off and gave me confidence that he could be um, one of the starting receivers at least, but even a wide receiver one had 18 catches for 239 and two touchdowns in those last four games. Um, I, I think he's a guy that can be, I, I don't want to say a true wide receiver one, because you have a lot of other guys like Franklin and Thornton who have flashed and have a lot of talent too. I just think with his experience and you know, Oregon <laughs> likes to favor experience especially on offense. I think that Hudson is a guy that you can trust. Um, but of course, the chemistry with whoever starts at quarterback, the new system, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, um, you know, how they look at these wide receivers. But with Kenny Dillingham's offenses, you see kind of this spread it out and take shots down the field thing. And I think that'll benefit Chris Hudson. And now Max is gone. So I'm going to keep talking about Chris Hudson. Yeah, I agree with Eric here. Eric wrote a comment about Chris Hudson, wide receiver one, seven is our new Jalen Red slash Kenyon Barner. Uh, I've been saying that a lot. I think Seven McGee is is one of those guys that can be super explosive. I, I think he's a guy that, um, you know, is obviously crazy fast. And Oregon just needs guys that, you know, just could take the top off a of defense and, and, you know, really change a game. And with this new offense, I think he's, you know, a key and X factor. But in terms of Chris Hudson, I think this offensive scheme will fit him really, really well. How's it going? <laughs> Back. How are we doing? Can you hear me? I'm right? Doing good. Yeah, I was bouncing off the the question here just to to keep it rolling a little bit. Okay, sorry about that, everyone. Thanks for thanks for improvising, uh, Dylan. 
um, I was like on my computer, like trying to basically bounce between screens and then it just got stuck with like all the windows and then it just killed it completely and like restarted. So hopefully that didn't sound too choppy and I wasn't out too long. Where, where can we hop back in here? Yeah, just uh, uh, I was focusing on Chris Hudson's fit with the offense. Um, I tackled the Seven McGee thing a little bit, but we'll get into that later. We'll save that for towards the end, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, let's let's roll with Chris Hudson because I know that you were uh, excited to talk about him. I thought he was definitely one of the more encouraging players from this wide receiver group that's back this year. When I was out in, uh, I mean, I'm currently in Southern California, but on a previous trip when I went out to St. John Bosco and was asking the coaches uh, kind of about him, they were just really praising him, you know, talking about he's just an ultimate competitor type of a deal and, you know, he's going to get his. So it really feels like he's starting to kind of get into his own and find that groove within the Oregon wide receiver room. He also has some added value as a returner. And I think that when you're looking at him, he's a guy that once you get him in space, like many of these receivers, they can really do a lot of damage. And uh, I love the energy that he plays with on the field. He's someone that I'll, you know, yell a little bit after a big play. And I think that energy is contagious so he's probably the the guy in the room right now that I'm most confident about just from the production that we've seen him being a vet now. But it's hard to you know look at this room and, and not be excited about that youth that you have there as well. Yeah, I was definitely going to touch on the energy. Uh, I remember his his first touchdown catch. I believe it was against Oregon State, if I'm remembering right. I'm remembering like Scott's pictures of the Oregon State game, and he's like celebrating a touchdown. Pretty sure that was against Oregon State. Um, and yeah, he just you could tell the whole team was just vibing off of him. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, kind of has to keep it in check because you saw what happened in the, the Arizona State game. He got called or the Arizona game rather got called for unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, and that was a, that was a big play in the game. So there, you know, after a touchdown, it makes sense. But you want to kind of keep it in check as the, you know, during the drive for sure. But, um, you know, the fumbling thing is one thing that I'm a little worried about with him more so than the other wide receivers, just because he had a couple in big moments last year. Um, but if, if he can keep building off of that momentum that he built in um, the last four games of the year, I'm really excited to see what he can do as a potential wide receiver one. But with the talent in this room, I, again, with, you know, kind of trailing over from the Mario Cristobal era, I don't know if we will see a true wide receiver one like we saw with Johnny Johnson in 2019, Dylan Mitchell before that. I don't know if we'll see that, you know, a guy that just dominates every passing receiving category feels like the Ducks really haven't had that. We talked about Devin Williams last year, but even that was like kind of barely. feels like the yeah. Ducks haven't really had that option since Dylan Mitchell uh, when he surpassed 1,000 yards, I believe, in his last season in either 2017 or 2018, uh, kind of around that, that time frame. But let's talk about some of these younger guys because I think when we talk about spreading the ball around, I think that's good. But what are the quality of those looks? Is it just a bunch of screens and short and short to intermediate passes that really don't allow for that much, uh, you know, creativity and, and ultimately an impact? I think that's kind of something that we, we've talked about when you look at underutilizing players. I know that was one of the topics we kind of wanted to get into here down the road on this episode of the podcast. But let's talk about Troy Franklin and, and Dante Thornton. Those are the two true freshmen that we saw a little bit more of a sample size from. Can't forget about Isaiah Brevard, but we just haven't seen as much of him as we have these other two guys. With Troy Franklin, Dylan, he was the number two player in California in the 2021 class, and he only had 18 catches. That's not a slight to him, but obviously that has something to do with how involved he's getting and how many targets he was getting. 
I mean, you, you say that in a sentence, number two player in California, one of the most talent-rich states in the country for college football. And he was a guy that definitely could have made a big impact. There was a need for him. And I was a little surprised that it took as long as it did for him to find a solidified spot in the starting lineup. But when I think about underutilized, I, I can't help but you know think back to, to Troy Franklin specifically. Um, and, you know, looking at the Alamo Bowl, that was kind of a, a more encouraging sign of, of hopefully what's to come when the quarterback plays more freely and these wide receivers ultimately in turn can play a little bit more freely, uh, especially look, looking to push the ball down the field. Yeah, that, that second half of the Alamo Bowl, although Oregon didn't make the comeback, I know a lot of people wanted to see that potentially happen. Um, it just it gave us a glimpse at what could what this offense could and should have looked like throughout the year with guys like Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton making so many, um, you know, game changing plays and seeing the potential that these guys have. Um, and I've talked a lot about, you know, I think they should have started Ted Thompson to get him ready for next year. I think they could have used, you know, Byron Cardwell and seven McGee toward the end of the year to get them more involved. I think they did that with, with Franklin and Thornton toward the end of the year. Cause Franklin, if my memory is serving me correctly, I think his first start was against Washington state. I think he was out there early against Fresno state a little bit, but I think he got banged up. Um, and then Dante Thornton started a little bit later in the year. Um, as you know, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red went down and Micah Pittman transferred. Um, I, I think that Troy Franklin was a guy that is a little bit more complete in terms of like his route running ability, some of the routes that um, you know he can run. I think he's got a more developed route tree than maybe a Thornton or, of course, even a, a Crocker or Brevard because they didn't really play until late last year. Um, but Franklin is a guy that you really feel comfortable putting anywhere on the field, a little bit of a smaller guy, definitely speedy, really good hands. Um, I believe it was Johnny Johnson during the spring that said, um, you know, Franklin and Thornton, their hands are second to none. And they just kind of put them on the map with Oregon fans. Like, okay, these guys are for real. You see the stars, you see the rankings, but you know, when they're making plays and impressing a fifth year senior, that says a lot about them. And I think we saw that throughout the, the end of the year with their, uh, you know, their play during the, the Pac-12 championship a little bit and during the uh, the Alamo Bowl, for sure, you saw what they can do with their hands and, um, you know, creating separation. I think that was a, you know, a really fun sight to see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For Franklin, his, his excitement, I think, started during that spring game when he made the, the diving catch. And uh, you can see the playmaking ability. I think that's one of the things that stands out the most about his game, the body control that he has. I know he had a couple catches last year, a couple plays last year that weren't ultimately catches, but man, you saw the the potential that he has and, um, and just, he's just ready to break out. I think he's kind of one of those guys that's just looking for his shot. Um, he's really creative and crafty on the field. He's elusive after the catch. So you, you talk about that with Franklin, and I, I do think that you're on the right track with, you know, calling him a little bit more complete. And then you look at Dante Thornton, uh, a guy who has a ton of track speed uh, in his background. His first college touch was a, a touchdown, just kind of a sprint to the house uh, against Stony Brook, which was really encouraging to see. But I'm hoping that you know, some of that experience that he got kind of down the stretch last year in the, the Utah games, in the Alamo Bowl, Hopefully that kind of helped him adjust more to the speed because the Ducks are going to need him to, to kind of slide in to a, a bigger role here. So even though the the receiver production definitely wasn't what a lot of fans probably hoped it would have been last year, I think that is one of the benefits that can be drawn from how the season ended up and having guys like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red get banged up. It kind of forced these guys into action, but um, you know, hopefully it will give them a, a better opportunity to to make their presence felt and have some confidence heading into spring ball here next week. I think Dante Thornton is a great replacement. It's, I know it's really hard to replace a guy like Devin Williams, but I think Dante Thornton is, you know, the best replacement option for Devin Williams with his size at, I believe, 6'4", 6'5". Um, I think he's faster than Devin Williams. He has really soft hands, um, really strong hands if, if he, you know, needs to make it in, in uh, contact. Um, I think he's a guy who has a lot of potential as a route runner, but again, we've just seen just very, very little of Dante Thornton um, up until the end of the year. And so he was just kind of that missing piece. I felt like to last year's offense, right? I mean, Micah Pittman, that role wasn't really filled. We wanted that receiver that could just kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, but still, I, I think another really big target for Anthony Brown would have been helpful given a lot of times, it seemed like he was kind of overthrowing guys a little bit. Uh, so having a taller receiver on the outside, um, you know, opposite Devin Williams would have been really helpful. And I think Dante Thornton is a guy that would have really benefited given what they wanted to do with, you know, with Pittman and Johnny Johnson and um, just where the offense lacked overall and just down the field action. Uh, I think Dante Thornton is as explosive a receiver as you can find at six, five. Um, and I, I think he's, like you said, track speed. That's, one thing that I think Oregon should have prioritized, um, you know, just getting on the field, those guys that can just absolutely fly. And I think we're going to see that this year, hopefully seeing some guys that can just, you know, tear a field apart. We've gone through some of the options that are currently on the roster from last year, even now that uh, Oregon finds themselves needing to replace some departures, but uh, we're going to be going for about another 10 to 15 minutes here. So just kind of wanted to update those of you guys that are watching live about kind of where we're at from a, a programming standpoint. Um, but let's talk about some of the new faces. Actually, sorry, before we talk about the new faces, one of the one of the points that we wanted to make sure we hit on from last year 
was the the underutilizing of of some of these guys because I think a lot of people will agree that a lot of these weapons, whether it be running backs, but primarily receivers, were underutilized. And Joe Moorhead's 2021 offense on Mario Cristobal's Oregon Ducks. So when we say underutilized, it's important to explain what that means. I think a lot of that means, obviously, you want to look at the deep ball. We hardly saw any of that throughout the year. And we saw time and time again that there were multiple instances of guys running open downfield or at least in a favorable situation, if nothing else. And uh, and Anthony Brown just couldn't get it to them. I think that when you're looking at the offense from, from last year, it, Moorhead and Cristobal, probably primarily Cristobal, were kind of favoring Brown to take some of these better looks, these safe throws, these intermediate throws, because they were very confident in the run game. And then the number of opportunities that these guys had and the the screens that we like a lot of Troy Franklin's highlights were just screenplays and like that's great and everything but he just needs to get better quality looks like you know plays over the middle where the the route is a little bit more developed spreading the ball around is good for sure but um I think that's kind of where, where I was getting at when we were talking about the the underutilization and just get a little bit a uh, little bit more creative with the the looks here for these wideouts. I just didn't feel like, you know, they should have been limited, like, um, you know, with the routes that they were running and, you know, the looks that you were getting, that they were getting with, you know, just some of those slants and, you know, the the little uh, just short yarded stuff. I think where they could really tear a defense apart is, you know, even go routes, of course, like we saw in the Alamo Bowl or, you know, a 10, 12 yard um, out route or post, um, you know, running deep corner. I think these are guys that have a lot of potential with, with some of their route running ability. But when we say that they're underutilized, I think one thing to keep in mind is these guys were true freshmen last year. And with the talent that they had and just the amount of bodies that they had at receiver last year, um, you know, logically you would think that a couple of guys would kind of be held, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, you saw what happened with Micah Pittman. He was a little bit frustrated with the amount of looks um, he was, you know, he felt he deserved and didn't get. Um, it just felt like it wasn't designed. The offensive scheme, a lot of times, and Anthony Brown's abilities, they just didn't mesh with the explosion that, you know, some of these receivers had. It was a lot of just, um, you know, a lot of these guys were decoys or they were blockers um, for a lot of the underneath stuff and or the run game. And, of course, we, we mentioned it before we hopped on here that Oregon is – or I should say at least was a run first offensive team. When you have CJ Verdell and Travis die with, you know, that experience in the offensive line that you have, of course, you're going to be a run first team. I mean, it's just, you have a lot more proven ability up there. And Anthony Brown is a mobile quarterback. They did a lot of design runs for him that I don't think you're going to see next year. Um, at least I hope it, I don't think it was as effective as, um, you know, it should have been a lot of times, but I, I think that, we have to keep in mind that they were true freshmen and there are a lot of veterans up front. And now that it's more open, you have a new system. You have a, a young offensive coordinator that wants to spread things out and have a more explosive, fast offense. I think this is where you can see these wide receivers really be used to, you know, their potential because you have a quarterback that can throw on the run. You have a quarterback that is, you know, I mean, whoever it is, they're accurate. They're um, they have a big arm. I think that, these wide receivers can can really help whoever the the quarterback is because they've you know they've just got so much talent just oozing out of that wide receiver room and so 
of course you want them to be blockers. You want them to be involved in the offense and that sort of thing, but getting them the ball down the field is, is what makes a wide receiver happy and, you know, makes an Oregon offense fun again, like we've talked about. And I know you've really liked to punch that home of just making it entertaining, of course, by still playing efficiently, but playing fun because at the end of the day, how many wide receivers have we talked to that have visited Oregon that are like, yeah, I grew up watching this Oregon offense that scores 50 points a game and they just got these guys and I've just wanted to go there because of that. And if you bring that back, you're just going to be setting yourself up for future generations of, you know, these crazy talented wide receivers that want to play in that style of offense. The new staff says that said that they wanted to make, whether it be offense or defense, a system that players want to come and play in. And Dylan, if you're looking at the offense these past couple years, I mean, it, it obviously looked a lot more varied, I think, when when uh, Herbert was here. Uh, but this, I don't think that players want to play in that kind of an offense based on what we've seen the past couple years, not because the on-field results weren't, you know, admirable. I think they were definitely decent. But if you've been watching Oregon – for multiple years, I think you know that they just really have been underachieving as a whole relative to the talent on the roster. I think that's a really big thing to keep in mind here when you're looking at what they're ultimately doing on the field. You know, we, we heard multiple times last year when we were asking kind of players and coaches about ugly wins, and they were saying, you know, we're not going to apologize for, for winning at the end of the day. No one's asking them to. I think a lot of this falls on the coaching staff, making sure they hit on the quarterback position, get the right guy taking taking snaps and and you know orchestrating the offense and making it something that's appealing for for wide receivers that are not only on the roster but the wide receivers that they're looking at in some cases one two even three classes down the road i think that's going to be a huge part of of the first impression that this offense leaves uh out of spring ball depending on how much we're really able to see let's get into some of these new names that are here uh not too many new names at wide receiver, at least particularly in the spring. It's been reported that Justice Slow, uh, a wide receiver out of the Lake Oswego area out there near Portland, will be on campus for, for spring football. And the Ducks also added Chase Cohn of the UCLA wide receiver transfer. Not sure if he's going to be on campus for spring ball, but those are the two new additions that we're looking at right now on the recruiting trail for the wide receiver room. And I think another thing to keep in mind here is look at those two guys that are coming in and also kind of a coulda, shoulda, woulda, but how great this room could have been as far as a wide receiver class. The Ducks had at one point four wide receivers committed, including Tetairo McMillan, who has since flipped to Arizona. And it's it's definitely, you know, something that I'm sure fans would be bummed about with all the attrition that we saw on the recruiting trail. But um, but still some some solid players coming in with, with Coda and Lowe adding to a, a young but pretty talented room. I think Chase Coda is a guy who will really help the veteran leadership absence that Johnny Johnson, you know, fill that void that Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red left behind. Um, you know, a guy that's played four years at UCLA, started a good amount of games, 67 career catches, which I did the math and he had, I think, just about, about the same amount of receptions as the, the returning receivers have in their career. Um or I think it was just this past season. I don't remember. I don't have it in front of me, but um, he's he's been around for a long time. And being a guy who is an Oregon legacy guy, you know, his dad played safety there. Um, you know, his cousin is Brady Breeze, um, you know, a South Medford high school guy. He was heavily recruited by Oregon coming out of high school, one of the top players in the state. 
um, you know, it just seemed like he was destined to, to be a duck. And while I don't know if he'll be, you know, an impact guy as ter- in terms of a starter, I think he's a guy that you can kind of plug and play, right? You know what he's capable of. You have four years of, of film. Um, and I think he will also fit this kind of spread amount offense. Um, you know, being a slot receiver, I think he's a guy that, you know, there's a, there's a ton of opportunities for the decoys down the field. And, you know, if you still want some of that underneath stuff, which of course that will complete your offense, you can't just negate the underneath stuff. That's important too. Chase Coder is a guy who's just a first down machine and you will just, you know, he finds himself open a lot in the middle of the field. Um, especially when UCLA had so much talent on their receiving and tight end group too, the last few years. So um, I think it's a great addition. I think it's great that he's, finally a duck it seemed like it took a while for him to to make his decision I feel like the day he transferred everybody was like oh he's gonna be a duck it's just a matter of time and um sure enough that's that's what happened and then justice low um I, I don't know if he'll be an, an impact guy as well just because you know you have all these young guys who are going to be making their way up the depth chart you add chase coda maybe you don't see him right away but i think justice low is a guy who um, I, I think he's a very complete wide receiver coming out of high school. I think he's a guy that is um, an intermediate guy and a deep guy. Six one, he's really speedy. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that you can probably plug into the slot or on the outside. Um, I really like his frame. I think he's a strong blocker. So I, I think he's a really good addition to this Oregon offense that wants to spread it out and you know just pound it down the field. Um, but I don't know if he'll be ready to go to be in the rotation right away. Um, you know, I hate to say it, knock on wood, if anything were to happen with injuries or the transfer portal, I think he could find his way in there, but just probably not right away. With the timing of Koto's commitment, I, I thought that it was something that was definitely in the works for, for quite a while and probably a big part of the reason that we didn't see anyone else hopping on board until pretty late down the line from a recruiting standpoint. But yeah, I think that I agree with everything that you pretty much said. I don't know if if I see him as the the number one wide receiver potentially for Oregon. I feel like I have a little bit more confidence in Hudson just with the the versatility that his game kind of presents. But um, but as far as low goes, I like what he has. He has a solid toolkit kind of as a receiver, like the route running. You love the the speed and the the potential that that kind of adds to the offense. Maybe we see him come into camp and. He's kind of a rotational piece as a freshman. I think with his situation, I think that Oregon's probably happy about kind of the room that they have right now. But if they're able to get something out of him, that's kind of a little bit of an added bonus. And that's another big point that I I wanted to make sure we talked about here, Dylan, before we got out of here was this is a really young room, right? That's something that a lot of people want to kind of latch on to when you're looking at the, the outlook for the Oregon offense, specifically the wide receivers. But I don't think that youth is that bad of a thing. You know, I was talking to my buddy Ryan over uh, sports chat 503 and he was saying that he likes the youth. And I've been thinking about that a lot more. And I really like it too. When you're looking at how Kenny, Kenny Dillingham wants to uh, kind of rejuvenate this offense, make it exciting. Like I've said, I think that just the youth of the room really bodes well for just trying to kind of reset this Oregon offense. I think they will still be a run first team, why wouldn't you with this great offensive line and some awesome backs, but we just want to see a bigger, uh, a bigger importance placed on that passing game. So that was kind of a point that I wanted to integrate here before we got out of here. I, I don't think that the youth is a bad thing at all. 
No, I definitely don't think it is either. Uh, my point about, you know, missing the veteran leadership. I mean, it never hurts to have veteran leadership for sure. But um, I think being able to develop this group of receivers that they've added over the last couple of recruiting classes, um, it's going to bode well for whoever, um, you know, I'm sure Bo Nix is probably going to be around for one, two years, Ty Thompson down the road, Jay Butterfield, any other quarterbacks, you know, the offensive coordinator. Like, I just think being able to bank on having these receivers for the next few years um, is going to be really helpful. Um, and there's a lot of them. And I, the one thing that I just keep thinking about is what would the wide receiver room look like if they kept those four receivers that ended up decommitting or even like half of them, because, you know, there were so many guys who had so many different positions. It just felt like it would have been overflowing. I think there would have been even more attrition. Um, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of glad that the wide receiver is the wide receiver room is where it's at. just because I feel like if they kept some of those guys, I just think, you know, a couple of those guys you really want to stick around, they might have maybe had second thoughts. That's a good point. I never really thought about that. But the the caliber of the recruits that Oregon had in the fold before the whole coaching shakeup was pretty remarkable. But can't can't live in the past. Gotta gotta go forward with the group that you have. And and I know that that's what uh, Oregon intends to do. Had a question from Danny that we wanted to hit on here. Danny asks, I'm a bit late, but what's the overall take on the passing game this season? Safe to say this season, this last season was disappointing in that regard. I think that you can definitely call last season's passing game a disappointment, but I wouldn't put it on the wide receivers. I also wouldn't even put it solely on Anthony Brown. I think a lot of that had to do with what all of us know was a, a pretty a pretty big, uh, you know, I don't want to say chokehold, but a, a firm grasp on the offense for Mario Cristobal. We all know how creative and innovative Joe Moorhead was, and that really wasn't his offense, I don't think, that we saw out there on the field, just with how dry and predictable that it kind of became throughout the season. But I, I saw Eric's comment here responding to Danny's question in the chat, saying that uh, it can only get better. We're all optimistic. That's about where I would, would uh, put myself as well, just when you see the, the talent that they have and all the potential that this room has. You just really want to get a guy in there that's not afraid to, to really sling the rock and, and take some chances, but albeit calculated chances. So we got a lot to talk about as the, the quarterback competition kind of gets going here in the spring. So I'm super excited to see the, both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers once spring ball gets rolling. Isn't it amazing that Anthony Brown led the Pac-12 in passing yards? And we're, I mean, we're calling it a disappointment. I, I, I definitely agree that it was a disappointment. It's just funny, given the context of the Pac-12, that, you know, he led the conference in passing yards and it's it's a disappointment. But yeah, I definitely agree that it's, um, you know, there was a lot left to be desired. I think I agree with Cristobal having, I'd probably go as far as to say a chokehold, but, um, you know, I, I just think there was so much more potential with Joe Moorhead's offense. And I was like screaming at the top of the mountain to, open up the playbook in the Alamo bowl. Cause now, you know, he had Brian McLennan as the interim head coach. It was Joe Moorhead's last game um, as, as the offensive coordinator for Oregon. He was moving on. What did you have to lose? You have all these young guys who are, are taking over. We're going to be getting more reps. I just really wanted to see it open up for the whole game. And the first half was just putrid. Um, and then the second half, you, you just kind of saw the butterflies rise from the grass in the fields. It was like, Oh my gosh, this is what we've been missing. Um, and then he moves on, you get a new offensive coordinator and it's like, where, you know, what's it going to look like, but to Danny's question of what it could look like. Yeah. Spread it out, run the ball. Um, you know, I think that's still going to be a focus is running the ball. Byron Cardwell is probably going to be, 
um, heavily involved um, with a lot of those talented guys behind him. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot more aggressive. I think it's going to be a lot faster, more up tempo. Um, probably not. An, it's probably not going to be a replica because it's hard to replicate that. But I think it's going to be way closer to early 2010s Oregon offenses than later 2010s Oregon offenses. We're just about wrapping up here on the Depth Dish podcast, and we do appreciate you guys tuning in, especially if you're here in the live stream on YouTube. The last point we want to hit on, Dylan, I know you put a little bit of this in our notes when we were sketching out the show. The biggest thing that we haven't even talked about, this position group has a new position coach. Junior Adams comes down from Washington. I feel like Oregon doesn't really do the whole school up north thing like Michigan and Ohio State do, but he comes over from the Washington, the rival Washington Huskies, uh, after um, you know a, a pretty decent run over there. And uh, a lot of people, I think, are excited about kind of what he presents as a coach and as a recruiter. I know that he's a Bay Area native, and I like to think about Jurion Dickey. He's a, a really priority target for the Ducks. And, and when I talked to him after his visit, he said he had a really good relationship with Junior Adams. But um, I, think that, uh, I think that it should be a pretty solid season under him, just uh, – seeing the group that he has to work with and um i'm, I'm excited to see what what kind of a guy he's like and, and what his receivers ultimately look like uh this season yeah i definitely forgot to to add that it was at the it's at the very bottom here and i was hoping we were going to be able to talk about him um i think what he really brings is a proven track record of getting guys to the nfl there's a number of guys but the name that's going to get thrown around that you're going to see the most is cooper cup because he was the uh, wide receiver coach at Eastern Washington when Cooper Cup was first getting his feet wet there. And Cooper Cup had an insane freshman year, broke like every FCS record, school record in his freshman year. And Cooper Cup even said that, um, you know, he's had a lot of coaches throughout his career. Obviously, now he's a Super Bowl MVP. Um, and he said that Junior Adams was a guy that, um, you know, has, he said no one's had a greater impact on him than, uh, than Coach Adams. So, um, you know, having that ability to coach a guy like Cooper Cup, who wasn't heavily recruited like some of these guys that are on Oregon's roster, but still be able to develop him into one of the two, three best wide receivers in the NFL. Um, obviously, he moved on. Junior Adams moved on and uh, he wasn't coaching him throughout his entire collegiate career. But being able to be there when Cooper Cup first got to college and help him, you know, have that crazy record breaking season. That's that's really promising. And um, I thought the Washington wide receivers while Adams was there, like Terrell Bynum and um, uh, Adunze, I think those are really talented guys, just very limited, similar to last year with Oregon, limited with the quarterback play and some of the offensive schemes. Um, I, I think the wide receivers are in for um, a treat with Junior Adams, who is also the co-offensive coordinator. So he'll be working on creating the, the scheme with, with Kenny Dillingham as well. Glad we got to touch on Junior Adams a bit before we got out of here, Dylan the new leader of the Oregon wide receivers out in Eugene. Before we get out of here, Dylan, where can people lock in with you on social platforms and, and find more of you? Got to let them know all that stuff. Yes, sir. So you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. Uh, I've been covering a little bit of the women's basketball tournament, which reminds me, Stanford's playing Oregon State right now. I should probably tune into that. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Dylan Rubin King. And then I'm also doing work with the transfer portal CFB right now covering a lot of, um, you know, really fun stuff with them, a lot of spring football previews. So make sure to check that out. I have an article about the uh, um, the Pac-12 and one question to ask for each team heading into spring. So go ahead and check that out and give it some love. 
Right on. You guys know where to find Dylan. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorussports, and you can find all of our written Oregon Ducks content over on ducksdigest.com. If you're watching on YouTube, kindly ask that you subscribe to the channel as well as our other social platforms. We are at Ducks Digest on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. And we also have the our message boards on Ducks Digest forums and the free Ducks Digest newsletter, which you can find on my Twitter page. I could ramble on and on about all the other ways you guys can follow us, but it'll be in the description on the podcast. And if you head on over to the new Ducks Dish Twitter page, you can also connect with us there and uh, send us questions. So that'll do it for us here on the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you to Dylan for hopping on and thank you to all you guys for tuning in. We will see you in the next episode. Take care. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com